Welcome to Hockey Pod, the FIH monthly podcast where we discuss hockey from around the world. Today, our focus is mainly on two continents, Europe, where the Euro Hockey Championships made for some, uh, some really thrilling hockey action just recently. Um, and then we're also going to be talking to two athletes from Pan America, uh, where the Pan Am Indoor Cup uh, at the time of recording is just a few days away. So first of all, to introduce our guests uh, from Uruguay. We say hola, hi, and hello to Constanza Barandigay, uh, who has been a mainstay of the team, um, both indoor and outdoor, since 2013. Uh, and she also represented Uruguay at the Hockey Five. So hola, Constanza. Hi, Sarah. Then we've got USA's Pat Harris, um, who first appeared at an indoor World Cup in 2003. So if the USA were to win the Pan Am uh, Cup here, he would be making his World Cup reappearance 19 years later. Hi, Pat. How are you? Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. Um, then we're also talking to Simon Mason. He was just about making his last international hockey appearance as uh, Pat was starting out. Three Olympic appearances under his belt, as well as European and Commonwealth um, appearances as well. Simon is now a well-known and highly respected commentator. Hi, Simon. Hi, everybody. Um, and then finally, we're joined by Yip Janssen of the Netherlands. Um, he's our fourth guest. Uh, he joins us after a hugely successful Euro hockey campaign, which saw the Netherlands beat Germany in a thrilling final uh, with Netherlands coming from behind. And I won't spoil Richard's news update with uh, who scored the uh, goal that took them through to the uh, shootout. But just to say hi, Yip, how are you? Hi, Sarah. Thank you. I'm fine. Brilliant. Um, and as always, hello to, uh, to co-host Rich Stainthorpe. Hi, Rich. Hello, Sarah. Hello, everybody. Wow, there's a lot of people on this call. I hope, uh, I hope it all goes to plan. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so I can start with the news now, if you like, Sarah. Yes, please. Sure. So, um, yeah, we, we do start at the Euro Hockey Championships in, in Amstelveen. And what an event it was. Um, the Netherlands took both the men's and the women's titles um, in fairly dramatic fashion um, for the men, uh, as, uh, as Yip will talk about a little bit later on. Um, but I actually wanted to come to Simon about it. Simon was doing uh, doing some co-commentary there. Um, Simon, how, how was it for you? How, how was the Euros? In short, exceptional, Richard. The, the whole we're, we're blessed in Europe with the strength of that, that competition, that the depth of talent that exists. And I, I know we all have around the world continental championships, but there tends to be some dominance in most of them if we if we look at at Africa with South Africa and then Egypt. And we look at Australasia with only kind of Australia and New Zealand. And when we then come into the European Championships, you've then got several teams who can all could all lift that title. And it makes the whole depth of the men's and the women's competition so incredible, so unpredictable, so exciting. And then you add in the individual skills that we see on display that just simply, to me, just get better and better and better. Um People kindly sort of talk about the fact that I was in one a long time ago and it feels like almost a completely different sport, the, the pace and the skill level and the athleticism. And it, it's just incredible. It's, it, I'm fortunate to have probably one of the best jobs in the world in the sport that we love. Well, that's the thing. And, and also, um, the, it felt a little bit more special as well, just because the fans were returning. I, I certainly felt that anyway, as a, as a spectator watching it on TV, with, with so many matches having been played in recent times where there just hasn't been anyone. It was so great to see fans there again, wasn't it? It was, it was fantastic. I mean, I, I can only 
think what it must be like to not have fans there, I and mean, particularly for a, a player such as Yip, who's in, a, in an environment that is used to fans. The other three of us who are playing international sports, I'm not convinced that we play in front of thousands of people on a regular basis, but Yip in his home environment probably does. And to then have that taken away from you and then to get a little bit of it back, I mean, it must be a, a, an incredible roller coaster of emotion. So, so yes, I agree. I mean, to just be able to hear it and experience it and feel feel it um it's it's just that extra bit of warmth and emotion and affection that you that that is infectious when when you're there um well we'll talk a little bit more about that um shortly but uh there's also been this squad announcements for the olympic games tokyo 2020 um the games are only uh about four or five weeks away now um there's plenty of news been coming in some of the headlines include that uh the dutch um ladies have named uh, lidavide velton in their team uh, which is very good news for them considering she's had a hamstring injury in recent weeks the men's squad uh, of Great Britain have named Sam Ward, who's bounced back from partial blindness in one eye to secure a place uh, in the GB team, which, which is remarkable. But as always with the Olympic selection, there's, there's plenty of disappointment for those who are not included. And I was only going to come to Yip about this um, because being selected for an Olympics is obviously fantastic. But I guess it must be quite bittersweet um, knowing that some of your close friends might not have made the squad. What are your thoughts on that, Yip? Yeah, of course, Um Almost the first reaction I had uh, once I heard the, the the total squad was to um, how do you say it uh, to help my friends uh, because they had to had to process maybe uh, the biggest nightmare they've ever faced uh, because in in sports uh, that's what it is um, not being selected for for an Olympic squad just naming my 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 friend Terrence Peters, uh, I play with him as well at, at the club. Uh, he's, a, he's a very good friend of mine, so I feel very sorry for him. And uh, I try to stay in contact with him as well uh, through, this, uh, through the weeks. But yeah, it's, it's a mixed feelings because uh, I couldn't have been happier with the news, of course. And um, yeah, but uh, mostly, mostly the happy feelings uh, take over. Yeah. yeah, I guess that's something you've also experienced as well, Simon. Um, uh, how, how was it for you? I know you keep saying it was a long time ago, but you must have experienced something similar. It's yes, it, it's the most overwhelming feeling when you get picked. And there's there's lots of conversations about World Cups and we'll talk about the hockey flyers later and various competitions and the continental championships. But the Olympic Games is the Olympic Games. Uh, it's it's the sporting event on the face of the planet. Our, our World Cups are very, are very, very special but they're not the Olympic Games. And to have that experience of the opportunity to go to a multi-sports environment, to go to an opening ceremony where there'll be a hundred, well, not this time, obviously, but in principle, there's tens and hundreds of thousands of people. It's across every country on television. It's a multi-billion pound dollar euro event. And it's, it is impossible to describe it. I, I can't relate to the guys who guys and girls who haven't been picked unfortunately I was I went to three and, and, and did go get picked as an athlete for all of them and therefore I can't do anything other than sympathize and, and try and uh, be thoughtful about those people who aren't successful at getting in and uh, as you said at the same time you're trying to manage your own emotion about wow I'm, I'm going I had the opportunity to put on that 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 tracksuit and be one of that very 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 exclusive club uh, what's really interesting is that it will go with an opportunity to actually join the really exclusive club, which having been to three, you, you don't, I think, I think there's a little bit of, there's a little different club when you put a medal around your neck. And obviously the, the British girls did that last time. And 
the guys it was a long long time ago and um that i think is a is again something that you aspire to and you get you suddenly you'll turn up in the village and actually you're just one of an, a crowd and you're all the same and suddenly being an olympian actually doesn't mean anything because you're in the group with everybody who's an olympian so you have this roller coaster um but right now for those people who've been picked and know that they are going it's just absolutely insane it's wonderful um the uh, the final bit of news in this first section is about the hockey pro league um belgian men and netherlands women have been named as the champions of obviously what has been a heavily disrupted 2020 2021 season um but i've got the final matches coming up uh, next weekend and that's australia versus new zealand the oceania derby which is taking place in perth Just get an idea about uh, how the australian new zealand teams are shaping up ahead of ahead of tokyo um and that wraps up the news for now sarah Brilliant. Okay. Well, before I head over to speak to uh, to Pat and Constanza about the uh, Pan Ams, we just got the um, the listeners' question, um, and it's a bit of a bit of a wordy one this week, so uh, or this month. So I'll 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 just push on with it. Um, I'm looking for chronological order. So the chronological order is this: the year that Constanza was born, the year that Simon played his last international match, the year that Pat made his international debut, and the year that Yip was born. That I would like the listeners to put into chronological order with the first year first and the most recent year last. <laughs> I'm not even going to repeat it. I'll just let people work that one out for themselves. Uh, but I'm, I'm just going to now, um, you know, we talk about putting medals around next and uh, uh, and also qualifying for, for major events. And uh, both Pat and Constanza are actually in a position where in the next few days uh, that could well become the case for them. We've, we've got the Pan Am Indoor Cup coming up, uh, the winners of which both the men's and the women's team will go on to represent uh, Pan America in the uh, in the World Cup in Berlin. So, Pat, if we come to you first, uh, you're actually right at this moment sitting in a hotel room uh, in Spring City or just outside Spring City, Pennsylvania. I just wondered if you could give the listeners um, sort of a flavour of how you've been preparing for this in the last few weeks, uh, months, if that's if that's been able, because this has been a very, very disrupted build-up, hasn't it? Absolutely. So um, most of the team arrived last week. I think it was Friday, June 11th and well we haven't had the chance before that to really come together and prepare so this is the first time the teams come together and have the chance to to talk meet and just kind of discuss a game plan as to how we would like to enter the tournament and and obviously our goal is to to win so there's a lot of boxes to tick um, in that sense because we haven't had the opportunity to train together but I feel like we've been making some good progress and um, I, I hope that we're on our way to, uh, to a successful tournament. Is that one of your players messing around with the hockey ball in the background there I can hear? <laughs> no, actually, that's the maintenance guy with the ladder. <laughs> <laughs> um, just looking at the, the teams taking part, I mean, I, I, I have spoken to the uh, Canadian uh, men's coach and um, he's been quite vocal about the fact that his team has had very little time to prepare and obviously they've lost some players uh, to the Olympic outdoor team as well. I presume that will be the same with Argentina. Do you get the sense this might be the USA's year in that respect because you will have you will have got a more coherent squad than perhaps your rivals at this competition? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's hard to tell I feel like in indoor because um, it's not like outdoor where it's played regularly. So I feel like the teams change a lot. And it's very hard to judge at this point whether or not Canada's team will then be equal or better or what have you. So 
I think we'll, we're only going to know on, until that first day, on the first day of competition. Absolutely. Um, Constanza, the same sort of question to you, really. I mean, again, your preparation can't have been as comprehensive as perhaps the team would have liked because of various COVID restrictions. So, so what have the last few weeks looked like for you in terms of getting ready for this event? Yes, as I told you uh, last week, when we talk about this, this same as a topic, uh, we've been pre- preparing two months since April. We, we were lucky because we could, we could train all together. Um, but uh, we have a very good expectative for this tournament. We are very happy to, to return to international competition again because last year, uh, some, t- uh, the indoor Pan Am was cancelled because of COVID. So, so we are very um, happy for that. And we have our objective very clear, that is to qualify to the World Cup. Um, so we are going to go for that. Fantastic. Um, and again, in, in terms of looking at the other teams, I mean, I, I know you, you will be playing your game. Um, and I know in, in the previous interview that we had, you, you were talking about just how passionate uh, Uruguay were about the outcome here. How do you realistically assess your chances? Because obviously... I mean, Canada, for example, and both USA, they, they have got um, more history, if you like, in the indoor game. They've both been to World Cups and, and they, they both play a little bit more. So, Realistically, how do you rate your chances? I think, as Patrick said uh, before, uh, I think that uh, as indoor is not a... We don't play indoor so frequently as we play out- outdoor. Um, all, the, all the teams change a lot. And because of COVID... Um, no one could train the way they want. So I think that that is a, a, an aspect that we all have. So it's an advantage that we all, we all play with. So we are really convinced that we can qualify because Uruguay, the last Panam, uh, gets the bronze medal. So uh, if we play the way we, we know how to play, I think that is an, an objective we can reach. So, yeah, sure. And, and I mean, looking at Uruguay over the past few years, you really are a team that's on the up, aren't you? Both indoor and outdoor, um, because I, I saw you at the Hockey World League um, semi-finals, and the, uh, obviously the you know you, you've done well in recent in recent years as well, uh, both indoor and outdoor. Is it a sport that's growing in the country, or is it just that the at the top level your um, your preparations and your um, your organisation, if you like, is better? We we. We have been growing for the last few years a lot. Uh, here we are not professionals in the the national the, the national team. All of us work and study. Uh, we they are, we are, they don't pay us. We have to pay the trips. Uh, it's a very we make a lot of efforts to be here. But I think that that's the difference we have between the other countries. Um, that sometimes is an advantage and sometimes is not an advantage. So uh, we have been growing a lot in the last years, uh, but we have still a lot of a lot to a lot to grow. But um, I think that uh, we are not professional, so maybe we that is the difference that the other countries have with us uh, that they can dedicate the whole day to training and we cannot because we will work and study uh, also. So that that is the the principal difference between the other countries. Now this year our first field hockey water field hockey was built in Uruguay, uh, so that, I think that that is going to be a um, a big change for us, but we have to to still work in that so we can reach to the top level. 
absolutely and, and and the news of the water-based pitch that's that's tremendous news for your for your national association fantastic um pat just coming back to you um obviously you know you've got a long history in the indoor game um how has it changed for you you know in terms of is, uh, has, has it changed as, as, as a sport in in any way i don't think it's changed too much i mean for me personally it has changed in the sense that i have been able to gain some more experience playing indoor in germany and i feel like that's the best place to learn considering the uh the amount um that the the, the germans like to invest in indoor um but no i don't really feel that the game has changed too much it's it's i guess it's switched more from a zone to man mm-hmm. at least it has done in uh, in germany i know that a lot more teams like to play man and that makes it more interesting because obviously um it really shows which teams are the best because you have to win your one-on-ones and there's a lot of pressure to perform. So, yeah, I guess that would be the big difference. Um, More zone to man. And and I'm guessing as well what what you've probably done, and and Simon could probably talk about this a little bit as well, but you you, you manage your own fitness, don't you, because you've got that experience that, you know, there's there's longevity in those legs. So whereas you might have been running around and and wasting energy as a a 20-year-old, you know, a few years on, and you're, you're actually playing far more smartly, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that's a big factor for everyone nowadays, managing your body and making sure that you do the regeneration stuff and eat well and try to recover the best you can. Um, so, yeah, not just for me. I feel like that's just a general theme in sport nowadays. Yeah. Cool. So we've got that, that event going on, and obviously we've just had the uh, the Euro Hockeys. But, yeah, I just wonder if you could just give us a, a quick um, insight into the Netherlands preparation for the Euro Hockeys in the sort of the final couple of weeks moving up to that event because you know that must have been quite an intense preparation period because you had missed out on so much in the previous months well yeah it wasn't intense preparation but we also had the competition which lasted half may i think and then we also had some vacation so um uh it was it, it was quite intense because you had to put a lot of trainings in little bit less time than than usual because usually you have uh, a whole summer to prepare for the for the for the euros uh, now it was a little bit less uh, than that but um, yeah, eventually uh, yeah it uh, became it became clear that we were ready <laughs> yeah you're more than ready obviously <laughs> <laughs> um brilliant. i think rich you're going to talk now a little bit more about the about those euro events yeah, yeah, I was going to go straight. To, I was going to go straight to Yip and just say, um, obviously, firstly, congratulations on on uh, winning winning the tournament and all, all of the dramas that that came along with that. But just just talk us through your uh, your journey at the Euros. I mean, um, uh, how how did you feel that the team, the Dutch team, did? I mean, obviously, you took the title, but did you grow into the tournament? Were you improving game by game? Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's it's nice that you noticed because I think uh, we had some weaker moments in the beginning of the tournament, uh, but yeah, we really had to grow grow into the tournament, like you said. And um, we had a disappointing um, draw against Germany in the group stage. Um, but yeah, we we still we were still confident that we could win, but it came a little bit harder because we had to face Belgium. Uh, and of course, <laughs> uh, it's a top team in the world. Uh, it, I think they're ranked number two now. Uh, behind Australia so yeah it came a little bit harder but uh, we were still confident that we could win and um, after we've won that one yeah 
it started to grow. You, you get bigger, you, your arms get bigger, everything gets bigger, the confidence gets bigger. So yeah, I definitely feel like we, we had to grow in the tournament, yeah. And I guess that uh, we don't want to look too far ahead, obviously, with the Olympics, but it must be a, a huge boost to the confidence of the Dutch going into Tokyo to, to win such a big competition. Yeah, uh, well, I think what it does, it, it, it tells us that we're on the right path. And uh, I think that's the thing we, we learned from this, from this tournament. We're on the right path, but we're not there yet. Um, uh, of course, the Olympics is, uh, like Simon said, uh, the greatest tournament to play as a, as a player. But yeah, we, we want to go home with a medal, like, uh, like Sarah said. And, um, I think, um, now I'm in kind of a tunnel vision in which only, uh, a medal counts. And if it's not a medal, I'm not satisfied, but maybe I can look back in a couple of years and let it go. But for now, only a medal counts. Yeah. And well, coming back to the Euros and obviously that final, um, there was an incredible fight back from you guys to actually actually take it. Um, you're obviously very quite comfortable in in um, in high pressure situations. Yep. I mean, how, how did how did you feel in that final uh, those final seconds of the final? <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, I was confident. Um, I I trusted my my preparation. So uh, yeah, I I, I did the, the drag flick like. Three million times, so I just try to stay stay cool and uh, just focus on execution. And um, well, yeah, it, it went in, and then that, and then suddenly everyone uh, says that you can uh, handle the pressure well. But I think it's just a matter of uh, preparation. Just uh, prepare more than you can uh, more than you can imagine. Like Simon, can I bring you in here? You know, you're someone who's very well known for talking about the technical aspects of the game. How did you find Yip's technique on that final uh, that final goal? I think I'm the last person in the world who should try and assess somebody who's just scored the the, the, the goal that takes them to a shootout. I would never dream of assessing it or criticising in any way. I used to stand there and hope it hit me, and I mean hope it hit me. Um, I think I, I, I would agree with Yip. I, all I can say is I think in that pressure situation and. All of us on this call are trying to perform to the best of our, sorry, either now or were trying to perform to the best of our ability. And all you can do is rely on the training that you've done. Yip had done the training and knew that as long as it was put on the, on the button and somebody stopped it for him. Um, I, my, my get, and correct me if I'm wrong, Yip, by all means, but I think in a, in a, if you were choosing where to put that ball in terms of the location in the goal, you might have chosen to go a little bit away more from the goalkeeper. It was quite close to his foot, but there was so much power on it that the delivery was, was, was per- the power was perfect. And so it, it achieves the result. But we all inherently are perfectionists and therefore we'll always, it doesn't matter that it was the, the winning goal. You'll still look back on it and go, next time could I do better? And therefore it was, it was perfect because the outcome was perfect. But you still look at it and go, if I was going to try and do that to win a gold medal at the Olympic Games, would I want to do it a little bit better? And I'm sure, well, again, correct me if I'm wrong, mate, but I'm sure you'd look at it and go, there are there are ways to improve, the same as in any situation. But it was fabulous because it achieved what it achieved. I totally, I think you're right. Uh, even your goals, you have to be um, have to criticize your goals as well, uh, because uh, might have gone in this time, but you never know what's going to happen in, uh, in the next game. So I think uh, you have to be sharp on that. And 
yeah, like you said, um, uh, it was the last g- uh, game of the uh, it was the last ball of the game. So I, I just wanted to put it on on target this time. So uh, yeah, that's why uh, it wasn't sharp in the corner. So from from me, I've just got one more question for you, Yip, and then I'm going to ask Simon one, <laughs> which relates to you. So, yep, do you, you've uh, obviously played alongside um, Mink van der Veerden for, for a good few years now. How has he been influential to you? I mean, obviously a, a world-class drag flicker himself. Have you have you learned much from playing alongside him? Is he is he guiding you in, in any kind of direction or are you just doing your own thing? <laughs> no, no, I think, um, yeah, no, I don't know. Would, um, that, that, wouldn't be, that wouldn't be unfair for me because he has helped me so much. He has helped me, gave me so much great advice. And um, at first he, he still was uh, number one, but now we're together number one. And no, I can't, that would be very unfair because he, um, he has helped me uh, tremendously. Yeah, I, I had a feeling that might be the answer. Um, <laughs> Simon, um, my question is kind of to you. How would you like to face uh, either Mick van der Veerden or, or Jip Janssen? I mean, you've obviously faced people like Sahel Abbas in the past. So going back to when you were a young man, how would you handle a, a drag flicker like this? It's it's difficult. To come We've had we had an off air conversation about it, and I genuinely said I'd be I'd be interested just to stick some kit on a stand there to understand the pace that these guys now generate. I mean, we're talking. I was playing fifteen, sixteen years ago. I mean, the, the athleticism has changed so much. I mean, the technique might still be similar, but the pure physical athleticism of both the, the men and the women across the competitions is so different. I can look back on when I played and when I played, I would like to think when Taka Takan was playing from the Netherlands perspective and you've got guys like Callum Giles, you had Sahela Bass at the time. And with all of that, I felt as a goalkeeper, you could stand on the line and I felt I had a chance with everybody except Sahel. Sahel was flicking a ball so quickly, you were almost guessing. And if you got the first tiny muscle movement wrong, it was in. He was scoring in what I would call the goalie starfish zone. If you just stand there with your hands out, he's scoring inside that zone. And that's the power zone to me. And now we're seeing Yip, we're seeing Tolini, we're seeing uh, Hayat in the past. Not quite as much through that centre zone. I'm not, I'm, my opinion is he's not got the same power as the other guys have got, but he's got the placement. Um, and you, you see so many more going through that central zone. I'd be interested to stand there once and hope it didn't hit me. Um, yeah, I knew you were going to say that. I'm like, no, I don't even have any kith anymore. But maybe after the tournament, when I'm in the Netherlands, I'll just come and stand there once and you can try and kill me. Um, but I, I think it might give me a reference point for the TV work from a commentary perspective. I think I'd like to think I'm fairly um, uh, complimentary about what, what happens to a large majority. Anyway, I'll be critical if something's bad, it's bad. If somebody fires it 14 feet over the crossbar, I'll call it as I see it. I mean, it's interesting that, that Yip's talking about that last one getting it on goal because Todd Williams, who I'm, I'm commentating, was commentating with a number of times when him and I, maybe we got a little bit uh, hockey, uh, hockey badger is the phrase in, in the UK. It got very technical quite, quite often. He was like, you just can't miss the target. You're in, you're in a, you're in the first five minutes of a final. You want to, you want to test the goalkeeper's mental positioning. Is he ready? Because if not, you can just literally, you can loop one down the middle and suddenly the outcome is, it's a goal because they get it wrong and you, you, you tempt that mistake. So yeah, I'd, I'd love just to stay. I wouldn't want to stand there for a hitting practice. I've, I've stood side on and now with not only composite stick technology, but the power that international athletes have, not a chance. It just must be a scary as a goalkeeper and B just hurt. It hurt enough 15 years ago. I'm not going anywhere near it these days. 
<laughs> yeah, great answer. I, I just, um, I, even in practice, and I've, I've put pads on, I, I've hated every second of it. <laughs> I think there's quite a lot of people who would probably pay good money if if Yip and I actually agreed to this. And I said, I think we'd be able to sell tickets. I think you'd just live stream it to see how long I lasted before I died, basically. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we'll, we'll we'll play that one out after Tokyo. If we just come back now, I mean, the, the, the Euros was, a, as we said, it was a fantastic event, made, made brilliant, but also by the crowds and, and the atmosphere and everything else as well. Um, how much are you guys over in, in, in the Pan American region looking forward now to being back on a stage and being back in front of, of you know, albeit small crowds, but, but playing international hockey um, on an international stage with a meaningful result at the end? And if we come to Constanza first, what does that, what does that mean to you? Um, we are very happy for, for returning to international competition. Last year, the tournament was cancelled one, one week before we, we travel to, to USA, to Lancaster. So we are very excited about that. And I think that it was positive because we could prepare better than last year for, for the Panam Indoor Cup. So we are very excited. And, and as I told you, um, uh, our objective is very clear and we, we are convinced that we can reach it. So, we have to play our our um, our style all the matches, but but we are convinced of that. Mm. And, and I mean, just watching some of the Euro matches, it's it's really obvious that if you do keep fighting to the very end, goals do come. And you know, Netherlands turned it around twice. And and so you know, even if you do find yourself down, hockey is such a quick game, isn't it? That you can easily turn a scoreline round really really quickly. Um, just staying with you for a minute, from from your point of view, you know, you're an outdoor player and an indoor player, as Pat is as well. How important is the indoor game to your outdoor game? You know, what what do you what do you take from the indoor game into the outdoor game when you play? I think that the as the 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 principal difference is that I think that indoor game is more attractive to watch because there are constantly um, uh, attractive things happening in the match. Maybe in the outdoor in the outdoor game, um, uh, it's more uh, it's not so attractive to watch. So so this is the, that 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 is for me the principal aspect that I will that I, the, the 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 principal difference on on it on the outdoor and indoor. Yeah, it's, it's that speed, isn't it? Speed of movement, and as you say, that the sheer number of goals and action. Same question to you, really, Pat. You know, what what have you taken from your um, indoor, or sorry, from your outdoor game into your indoor game, and vice versa? Uh, the biggest thing for me about the indoor game is the basic skills, obviously, and then the spatial awareness and anticipation of what's going to happen next. I feel like in indoor, it's a, it's a really important thing and skill to develop and have because the game is so quick and the space is closed down even faster than they would do an outdoor, for example. So that for me is just, I feel like if you can do that well in the indoor, then everything kind of slows down in the outdoor. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, you know, you, as you say, you, you played um, in, the, in the German league and you've brought that back. Have you been quite instrumental in developing the sort of the skill base of the USA team because of that, because of that knowledge? I mean, have you, have you been involved in the sort of in the coaching process as well as in the playing process? Um, I've been working closely with the co- with the head coach. Yes, I, I think it's important to uh, whenever you get the chance to to learn something that maybe your peers haven't to share that knowledge and try to. The more you can do that, I feel like the better everyone's going to be. So yes, I have been working closely with the coach and the players and just trying to get us as far along as I can. 
And, and have you got a team? I, I mean, I haven't looked at the uh, the USA team, and so I don't know how many sort of young new players you've got in there. But have you got a team that excites you because of their sort of their fearlessness when they go out and play this tournament? Um, the thing I really like about this team, I guess, is that everyone's on the same page. Even though there's a lot of new players, I feel like there aren't any groups in the team. Everyone's very receptive of each other. And uh, I think that's going to be our strength, actually, uh, going into this tournament. Absolutely. Um, Simon, have you done any indoor commentary? Uh, yes, I have done some indoor commentating. Um, it's vastly different. Uh, we we reckon that, that outdoors you've got about an eight-second window to say anything that anybody's remotely interested in if the game is being played at uh, its normal pace. Yes, if there's an injury or something, you'll have a, a greater space of time. Indoors, we reckon it's about three seconds. So essentially, you're almost... <laughs> you're almost trying to perform at the same pace difference that the players are trying to do because you have to keep right on top of who, who's who, what the, the, the concepts are, understanding the technical elements. And it's, it's, it's a really hard game to commentate on. And to be honest, a lot of the time you just let it breathe. The pictures tell the story and you try and interject every now and again because it is so quickly, so fast. And nobody wants you to be reflecting on something that happened 20 seconds ago. Um, it's kind of goldfish bowl syndrome is that it is so quick. You may as well just let people enjoy the, the pictures in front of them. It's it's a tough one to talk over. Just talking briefly to you now, though, just about your sort of transition uh, from being a player to being a commentator. How's that been? How's that journey for you been? You know, has, has it has it had its, you know, has it been a seamless transition? Um, there was there was a big gap in the middle. So I finished my last cap was back in. Some people keep telling me it's 2005. I'm pretty certain it was 2004, but people, <laughs> so it was, it was a long time ago. And it wasn't until I was lucky to be asked to do some, I say proper commentary. I, I dabbled with some stuff between then and 2010, but it wasn't until the World Cup in 2010 when I actually did my first kind of proper commentary at the World Cup. And that just happened because I was there because I was the, on the, the England board at the time and was out there to watch the England teams and got invited to do some and it went pretty well. Um, and then it's just, it's just grown ever since then. I was, I was lucky that. I knew Nick Irvin, who's obviously the voice of the EHL, and he then invited me to do some stuff because him and I knew each other. And that has then transitioned into <clears throat> what is now 10 seasons of EHL work. And it, it develops in itself. And we're, we're lucky that last recently with the Pro League particularly, and then some of the stuff in the UK, the BBC have picked it up, BT Sports have picked it up, and it becomes more professional. Uh, that's probably really in the last four years I guess so in that that intervening four four five six year period it's very much a it's a self-development uh tool so I mean I I would reflect on it in the, in this group here that my commentary experience is probably like what Pat and Constanza experienced from their hockey which is it's very much self-motivated it's self-funded it's self-driven you're you're, you're getting yourself to events and you're teaching yourself to try and be better as opposed to the last three or four years, it's probably a, a Netherlands GB style program that's got a bit more funding to it. It becomes more professional and people are then helping you and coaching you and telling you what you need to do to be better. You get a lot more direction. The whole atmosphere of hockey on television has become far more professional. So there's been a lot of transition. And the beauty of it is that I am paid to have an opinion and people care about that opinion for about 30 seconds. And then, and then it, and then it disappears. They care far more about whether a Pat and Sandra or Yips actually score a goal, as opposed to whether I talk about it correctly. Um, and there's no pressure on me other than, yeah, somebody will fire me if I consistently get it wrong. But 
I'm set up a tower with 14 replays, team lists, statistics, and a cup of coffee. And it's it's the best job in the world. I mean, why wouldn't you want to do it? I, I was lucky enough to be in Rio when my home nation won a gold medal and I was still on the side of the pitch and somebody paid me to be there. I mean, could you ask for a better semi-career? It's, it's a privilege to do it. And I love every minute of it. I will continue doing it until somebody usurps me. So I will continue to try and work hard to deliver information that makes that adds a tiny percentage to what these guys produce on the field in terms of i mean you've sort of answered one of my questions your, your best moment probably your best moment in that role even though you weren't on that match at the time as the uh, was the rio final but, but what's been your best moment as a commentator do you think have you had a have you had a uh, um they think it's all over uh, quote moment at all where somebody's actually gone back and said simon that was a brilliant piece of commentary uh Yes, actually. And it was the game between Belgium and Germany in the 2019 Euros. Todd Williams and I were commentating and Germany had gone 2-0 up and were dominating a Belgian side that everybody thought should win the competition. And then uh, Victor Wenier took a free hit and dummied it and ran into the circle and backhand smashed it into the goal. Um, and I basically screamed, he's rigged it, which is a very English phrase and makes no sense anywhere else in the world. Uh, I said, I said, the, the fireworks have gone off, the roofs come or gone off. I can't remember what the words were, but it was, it was a moment when, when a game changed and you'd seen, you'd seen a, a German side that was dominating. It was two and a half time. And I've, I've spoken to Thomas Briels latterly and he was like, we sat in the change room and everybody was calm because we knew that we, we were good enough, but, that composure certainly didn't translate into the stadium and everybody. There was an ex-Belgian international in the commentary box next to us, and he literally went through the floor every minute. He lived every minute. I mean, Todd and I were excited, but he just was going off on one. And it's hilarious to watch as he's jumping up and down every decision. He's leaning out the front of the box. And the beauty of it is, Sarah, is that you can... We all have a passion as players, and we all have an adrenaline, and we would give absolutely everything when we played. But it doesn't fade. It doesn't. It doesn't fall away. And, and Yips talked about earlier on. Talked about this tunnel vision of going to the Olympics and wanting to win a medal. And maybe I'll look back in a few years and I'll, if I don't win a medal, I'll get over it. I promise you, mate, you won't. I promise you, <laughs> because you'll sit there. We were, we were never close. The team I was in were never close to getting a medal, but we still went thinking it might be possible. And therefore, you look back on it and you know. That whilst it is a privilege to go to a to go to a game, to go to a continental championship, whatever that that top level is, an Olympic medal in our sport, my perception is it's still the pinnacle. And therefore, if you ha- if you get even close, if you get within a sniff of it, and then don't have one, I don't think you would be the competitor that that we are on this call if you don't regret getting there. And you you can't get over it. You can have all the tracksuits and look back on it. And behind me, I have my shirts from various things. You still think, what if? What if I'd saved that ball? And I can play, I can play goals through my head now. Twenty years ago, I go, what if I'd done that? And I have a moment. I've, I've digressed immensely. I have a moment, and it stays with you because we have that excitement and that adrenaline, and we just try and now I just try and put it into words. But that's where it comes from. It comes from the passion that all of us have. Brilliant. Quick ego-shattering question for the rest of you: Do you actually listen to the commentary, guys? Do you listen back and listen to what's and do, would you take any notice of what Simon said? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I think um, we as, as a country in, in Holland and the Netherlands can learn something about uh, the way that, well, the country is given by, by Simon and also by Nick um, uh, and Richard and, everything, and everyone in, in, 
uh, we in, in, in the Netherlands can definitely learn something about that because when we watch the games and we watch with commentary from or from the EHF or the FEH or the, the Euro Hockey League, how do you say it? The chicken uh, skin or something? <laughs> how do you spell it? Goosebumps. Goosebumps. In Holland, it's called chicken skin. So <laughs> no, it, it's, it's literally goosebumps. So, yeah, we definitely listen to it. And, yeah, it's, uh, it's fantastic. Uh, Constanza, to you, do you, do you do you ever listen back to commentary, or, do, or indeed, do you read feedback on social media, and do you take it to heart? Or here in Uruguay, we we have to watch the the international hockey by the by any page or something because here it's not in the TV where they don't pass the the matches, and uh, because of the difference of hour, we maybe we cannot watch the matches in real time, so it's more complicated to watch them. But yes, I love uh, watching international hockey. So, yeah, so, I think there's always a learning point from everything. What about you, Pat? Do you do you take to heart what you know what Simon's equivalent over in the states says? Um, I don't. I wouldn't really watch it back. I would say I think it's definitely more interesting when there is somebody commentating because. Just a, a picture itself wouldn't be that exciting, in my opinion. And I think it's nice when you're watching to to think to yourself, do I agree? Do I disagree with uh, what what he's saying or what she's saying? And uh, I think that bit makes it uh, much more enjoyable to watch. Yeah. Because in the Euros, I'm lucky that I've done it several times. And so you can tell actual people's body shapes. And I'm a real geek, so I do sticks and shoes. So my, my very first thing that, that I'll get the, the cameras to go across every warm-up in the first two days, and I'll list every player's stick colour, every player's shoe colour, headbands, you name it. I mean, Zvik, Martin Zvik changing his hair length and a headband is the best TV thing he ever did in, in the, the Netherlands team. I think I got Jodik Krohn and, and Tyson Van Dam mixed up probably 50% of the time um, because when they're running, they are so similar on camera. But we want to be better as a commentary team and we want to understand what people want and we try and balance the technical element with what a player wants versus what a new spectator wants. And we're trying to expand our hockey audience. And so we want to drag people in. So we don't want to be too, too geeky and too technical. But at the same time, there's people who want to know what, if, if it's Pat Constanza, if anybody, what they're doing and why and what's the element. And if we get the camera work, we want people to see a super slow mo of, I saw it, I saw it today. I'll mention Yuri. Again, he, at one point, he treat, he dummied in the Euros, he dummied to throw an overhead and caught it himself and pulled it back into his feet and then played it onto a German attacker. And it was genius. But it's such a tiny, tiny skill set. But you want to describe it because the hockey lovers love it. And actually, but, but on the other hand, someone who's new will go, I genuinely don't understand why that happens too quick. And that's one of the, the dangers, I think, from hockey itself is we've got to a point now where the game is almost too fast for television without an experienced production team. And I don't mean commentary team. I mean the camera crews who can get it on television in a good enough manner. It takes a lot of expertise. The, the, the production for the Euros will, will have been hundreds of thousands of Euros of four, five, six K camera work. It's, it's a production truck with 17 screens in it. It's a full time 14 hour crew. And we want to get that uh, opportunity to get hockey on television as much as we possibly can from every tournament. So the indoor stuff that these guys are going to play in. I mean, wow, Pat, you've spoken about it already about the speed of the game. And how do you televise that? I mean, you need people who really know what's going on. You can't have a handheld video camera in the crowd with somebody trying to name check 
you may as well just kind of not bother. And technology is changing and there's a lot of artificial intelligence on camera work that's coming in. And I think we will see more hockey on television. But we need to understand that to get it done, it takes a lot of very, very experienced professionals before we even get a chance to put any words to it. We've had the Euros, which were a fantastic showcase. We've got the Pan Am Indoor Cup coming up, which is going to be a fantastic showcase. But Rich, you're going to speak now to Yip about uh, the biggest showcase of them all. Tokyo 2020. I mean, um, you, you must be you must be incredibly excited about that, Yip. Yeah, I am. Uh, it's going to be my first Olympics, and uh, yeah, uh, and all that, all the efforts, all the sacrifices that you've made. Um, yeah, they're they're becoming worthy, and. Um, uh, I think uh, we have a we have a good chance to to do something special at this tournament. So we've had the Euros as uh, as kind of our preparation uh, for uh, for uh, for the Olympics, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. It's something very special. It's a, it's a pretty pretty strong start. As you said it was a preparation for the Olympics. You know, to take a European title is a pretty pretty good way to, to to go into the Olympic Games. I mean, obviously this is quite an unusual year where you've got the Olympic uh, the uh, Europeans taking place just before the Olympics. I mean, do you think that that really will help you going into the into, into the into Tokyo because you will have played such high level hockey um, just just a matter of weeks before? Yeah, I think uh, I think it will because um, yeah, we knew that this was the scenario that we had to face, and we in our global planning uh, we we really took these uh, these Euros as a preparation. So. Um, also with the vacation time and and stuff to to relax and to uh, everything is is uh, is thought about to use this as a preparation and no disrespect of course because uh, it's it's a European Championship but we were more focused on Olymp on the Olympics during the during the tournaments than really winning than really winning. I mean it's interesting because obviously going into Tokyo you have a 16 player squad whereas in in the Euros it's an 18 player squad was there any any kind of management of players in in uh, in, in terms of that did you often use 16 players rather than the full 18 yeah, you, you you notice everything so the first two <laughs> games the first two games we played with 16 um and of course to get used to the to the substitution schedule and to get used to that and um however uh, once you're starting, you can say, uh, yeah, we use the, the Euros as a preparation, but once you start, you, you want to win. So uh, eventually we also um, we took uh, our uh, 17th player uh, and, and used them. Uh, it was Justin Block, and uh, he did very, very well, in my opinion. Eventually we used them. Yeah, of course, of course. And, and the follow-up question to that is that, I guess you may have been holding a few things back for Tokyo. So maybe penalty corner routines, things like that. Maybe maybe you didn't reveal everything at the Euros that you probably will in uh, in Tokyo. Am I am I right in assuming that? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I, I'm clearly not asking you to reveal any secrets. But no, I just... Um, I just wondered. It must be a fight. It must be quite a hard balance to 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 decide what you want to show and what you don't at yeah. an event. Because clearly you want to win the Euros, but you don't want to show everything. But that, that yeah. to Tokyo. Exactly what I just said. Um, it is uh, it is a preparation tournament, but eventually you want to win. And yeah, therefore we may have revealed more than we wish we had, but uh, we also got some some other. Still um, my final question on that is that obviously this is um, going to be Max Caldas's uh, kind of farewell competition. I, I mean, how has it been working with Max Caldas uh, um, with the Netherlands team? 
I think he's a he's a very warm personality. He may not look always <laughs> like that, but he's a very warm person. And um, oh yeah, I, he helped me so much because uh, he he's he's the reason that I'm playing on Olympics. That's that's uh, that's uh, that's just the truth. And um, well, yeah, getting that kind of confidence from such a big name in hockey that that's something. That's very special, and um, yeah, he's a person that um, is also very uh, focused on the group and uh, functioning as a collective. And I think that's what makes him one of the best coaches uh, there is. I'm sure he'll do a, a fantastic job with the with the Spanish team, and um, obviously, uh, you guys have a new coach coming in coming in as well. Are you looking forward to that? Yeah, also uh, also a very big name in in, in hockey. So I think he's got uh, like 400 caps or something like that. Uh, uh, he's a big name, and um, well, he maybe did not have uh, the greatest tournament with with, with France, but uh, also eventually they played uh, they played good hockey, and uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to to working with him as well. I think uh, he's got something that uh, the Netherlands uh, needs. Yes, that's Jeroen Delmay, just in case. Uh, oh, I didn't. Sorry. Yeah, I, no, I didn't actually say it in in the question. I was hoping you might say it in the answer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. Um, but uh, no, well, thanks so much for talking to us. Um, I'll go into uh, the uh, the second news section now, if that's okay, Sarah. Um, there's a couple of bits of news from uh, from FIH. Um, we'll start with the uh, 47th FIH Congress session, uh, where delegates from all over the world uh, gathered online to discuss important matters regarding the global status and development of hockey. Uh, arguably the biggest news story to come out of that was uh, Dr. Narinda Dravbatra winning a second term as FH president, uh, edging Belgium's Mark Coudron by the smallest of margins, taking 63 votes to Mr. Coudron's 61. Um, so he will be in position for the next, uh, up until 2024. Um, as well as the various presentations, and uh, there were also numerous honorary awards. I've already talked about Sam Ward today. Sam Ward was one of those award winners. Um, he was given the Super Fair Play Trophy, Rennie G. Frank. Um, this is in recognition of his perseverance, dedication and energy, not only in his recovery, but also in raising awareness of mental health issues, which is fantastic for Sam Ward. Um, a complete roundup of that is available on the FIH website. The other bit of news is uh, a bit of, been a bit of a hot topic in recent weeks, as everyone, I'm sure, is aware of. Um, it's to do with the Hockey Fives. Uh, the FIH Executive Board has appointed Amman as the host country for the inaugural FIH Hockey Fives World Cup for men and women, which we played in January 2024. The FIH has, had also received bids from India, Pakistan and Singapore to host the event with the Events Bidding Task Force, which comprises of EB members of all five continental federations recommending Muscat, uh, the capital city of Amman. It has certainly caused some debate, which I know you, Sarah, are quite keen to explore a little bit further. Yeah, well, I think um, that there are two things to talk about, really, and I'm going to bring Constanza in in a minute because she has experience of, of playing hockey fives. But I think the first thing really to deal with is the location. And as you quite rightly say, Rich, there was a huge um, outcry when Amman was uh, named, largely because of its record on human rights and particularly um, its uh, attitude towards homosexuality. I have a personal um, interest in this and I'm sort of, you know, thinking in the first instance, it's a, it's a really difficult decision to come to terms with. Um, and then from speaking to a few people, um, in particular from uh, speaking to Mariah Kaplurin from the EB, um, it became very clear to me that actually you have to see the bigger picture. 
Um, and this is about taking our sport and showing what a great sport it is across the entire world and using all the values that we have so deeply ingrained within the sport, uh, gender equality, equality across, um, you know, all walks of life. That's what's so important. And that's why it's important that we go to Amman and we put on a great show um, and we show people that actually we can be accepting of absolutely everybody. And that that is the way forward. We have to accept other people's beliefs. We have to accept other people's religions, even if they're at uh, at odds with our own. Um, and sometimes it's just a case of showing that, uh, you know, actually equality is a really great thing. And, um, you know, things like sexuality just don't matter in the bigger scheme of things. Um, but I just wonder now, Constanza, if you could just tell tell us a little bit about, you know, you're you're a person who's enjoyed hockey fives. Can you tell us a little bit about the the, the game and and what it means, particularly to nations who perhaps aren't so um, au fait with the eleven aside game? Yes, I I played hockey five in the Youth Olympic Games in 2014. Um, I think it's a total different uh, sport from the hockey five hockey eleven field hockey, but uh, And I think that is a very physical game and a very tactical game. Um, it's very different from from the the hockey, the eleventh field hockey. I'm very happy that that the that this World Cup is going to be developed because I think that the hockey five is more attractive than the eleventh. So I, for me, it's good that. Yeah, so it's, it's a, a different format of the game, and it's one that will yeah. op open up the sport to a lot of nations who perhaps haven't got the facilities or the ability yeah. to play. 11-a-side hockey at its highest level. Um, in, in terms of within Uruguay as well, is this something that the Uruguay um, National Association will push um, to areas where maybe hockey isn't played so much within your country? Because I know it's at the moment Uruguay has got pockets of hockey, hasn't it? Yeah, uh, actually Uruguay only the um, the hockey is most most developed in the in Montevideo. That is a uh, The principal city of Uruguay, but uh, in the last few years, it was it, it has been a project developed to to take it to the whole country. So I think that this 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 format of playing hockey it would make uh, the this sport grow in in the whole country. So I think that is very positive. Yeah, thank you, and thank you for that. Um, I just sort of on the same theme. Um, and this again is a question to both Pat and Constanza because I think it applies to your countries or, or, or to your teams. Pat, um, hockey playing amongst men in the USA is still something that, that needs to be grown and developed. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not at the moment a major, major sport. Could something like Hockey Fives, could, could that be a way to promote the game amongst men within the USA or within, you know, with young men and boys and, and, and also adults? Absolutely. I think it's, it would help create a structure, more of a structure than we currently have for boys. Um, hockey is very much still um, a ladies' sport in the U.S. Um, because you have sports like basketball and football. Um, there's not really a platform for young men. So, yeah, I, I do think because you need less players, you could potentially start a league with the hockey fives where boys could then play separately because there are instances where boys actually have to play with girls Um in the U.S. Um, so, yes, I think that would be a great way to uh, to help grow the, the boys' game or the men's game in the U.S. And, of course, there's always the question of facilities as well, isn't it? You know, it could be played on a wider range of facilities and, and, and in, in smaller venues. Um, just because we're running out of time here on, on the show, but very, very quickly, just coming, to, uh, Simon, you, you're bound to have an opinion on Hockey Fives. Do you want to share a quick opinion with us? I think Hockey Fives has a place, and we have to look, as you said, Sarah, at, sometimes at a bigger picture. 
there are places and people who feel that Hockey Fives threatens other elements of our sport. But there's, there are areas in the world where Hockey Fives is an absolute revelation, is allowing international federations to create teams that will eventually stimulate potentially 11, 20, 50, 100 people to get involved. When you when you see places like Vanuatu and uh, um, Togo and places like that playing hockey because they're playing hockey fives, I mean that's that's only got to be a good thing. Um, and uh, yeah, so so that's that's it, Rich, on uh, on on Oman and hockey five. Yeah, thanks. I'm glad, I'm glad we got that out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> now, something else we do have to get out of the way is the answer to the listener's question. So I'm going to uh, I'm going to see if anybody can get this right. Um, it was Constanza's birthday. It was. Pat's uh, international debut. It was Simon's final international, and it was Yip's birthday. Um, let's let's give Pat a go at getting those in the right order. What do you reckon, Pat? Ah, uh, let's see. What was Constanza's again? All right, so it's her birthday. So is she? Um, I'm guessing we could say is she older or younger than Yip? I would say younger. Uh, so Yip's older. So it would be maybe my debut, her birthday. Yep. Now, I'm, I'm going to put you out of your misery. You're so wrong there. It's untrue. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, in 1996, Constanza, what happened in 1996? I was born. Correct. Yip, what happened in 1997? I was born. <laughs> Pat, what happened in 2003? Um, made my debut. Yep, you certainly weren't born. Um, and Simon, what happened in 2004, stroke five? Somebody realised that I should be replaced. <laughs> That's it. So any any listener out there, if you said Constanza, Yip, Pat and Simon, that was the chronological order of those events happening. <laughs> um, right. That's. I, I think at that point we're probably going to have to call it a day now. Rich, do you want to just wrap up with uh, where people can uh, can listen, watch and enjoy hockey? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so just keep up to date with uh, all the latest news from the world of hockey via the FIH website. So that's FIH.ch or by following the social uh, media channels, uh, Facebook, um, which is FI Hockey, Instagram, FI Hockey, and Twitter, which is at FIH underscore hockey. Uh, don't forget to download the Watched at Hockey app, which has got uh, loads of uh, videos and highlights and uh, interviews conducted by me and Sarah occasionally as well. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Well, all it remains to uh, do really is to say thank you very much to uh, to our guests today for um, well for indulging us in this in this chat um, and to wish Pat and Constanza all the very very best at the uh, at the Pan Am Indoor. I, I really hope it goes really well for both of you and that you are able to fulfil those dreams of uh, taking your your respective nations through to the uh, to the Indoor World Cup. Up. Um, Simon, keep doing what you're doing. It's great. We love it. Um, we're, we're always looking out for those monumental Mason phrases. Um, and Yip, all the very, very best um, on in Tokyo. I hope you uh, hope you come back with that medal around your neck. And Rich, thank you very much. No, thanks everybody. Take care. Thanks. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, guys.